Today's episode of the Hot Forward podcast is proudly sponsored by Brewing Jobs, the UK's only free dedicated brewing jobs board brought to you by Brew School, your number one for brewing and distilling courses. Advertise your jobs for free or join up to receive your personalised brewing jobs alert at www.brewing-jobs.com today. This is Nick Law and you're listening to the Hot Forward podcast getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Hot Four Podcast. That grinding sound you can hear in the background by the way isn't the sound of my hangover, it's the sound of my neighbours grinding for the third day in a row. There you go, so it's all very real on the Hot Four Podcast, there's, there's no messing about with this show, it's, uh, it's every bit as slick as <laughs> you can imagine. So there you go. Earlier this year, I was fortunate enough to attend the Thursday trade session of Brew London, a festival and trade show in the Old Truman Brewery, a welcoming emporium of game-changing beers, high-quality street food, good-time DJs and general festivities. Although COVID-19 was making headline news here in the UK, edging its way ever closer from far-distant lands such as China and the not-so-far-flung Italy, Talks of the novel virus in conversations were fleeting at best, usually sandwiched in between casual chit-chat about the beer in the atmosphere. I'd attended the festival with several hats on. My networking hat to hook up with business owners I'd arranged to meet. My podcaster's hat to record episodes I'd previously lined up. You can go back and listen to those if you wish. And my party hat on to sample some of the finest beers that London had to offer. Having a young family means I don't always get out to the latest beer festivals, trade shows or even down the pub on a regular basis. So whenever I do get the opportunity, I savour the experience even more so than I do the drinks. On this particular occasion, I went with my good friend Darren from the Industry Tap in Sheffield. Darren's a quality bloke and can definitely give me a run for my money as far as beer consumption is concerned. I have to confess, it was quite funny, actually. Uh, having spent a couple of hours podcasting, I'd probably had around a pint in total in those little sample glasses they give you. But by the time I bumped into Darren around 3pm, bearing in mind that the doors only opened at 1, he was already slurring his speech and reminding me yet again to go and visit Round Corner Brewing Stand. This was to become a common theme of the day, as we'll soon see. I ran into lots of friendly faces from the industry, many of whom I've had the good pleasure to podcast with. And yet it seemed that in between every social interaction, Darren popped up asking this same question. Has there been to Round Corner Brewing yet? After a while, it was difficult to elude the question. And with my defences being down on account of a beautifully smooth yet 14.4% whiskey barrel aged Scotch ale, courtesy of Glen Affric, I finally succumbed and followed Darren into the throng of bodies all packed like sardines in a can around their bar. Not a sentence I'll be using to describe a bar or any other social event this side of Covid anytime soon. 
Darren introduced me to Cumbie Cryan, a larger-than-life Northern Islander who, as his first gesture of kindness, offered me a beer and as his second, a Melton Mowbray port pie. <laughs> well, this is where it's at. Beer in port pie? Hoom, hoom. I think I'll stay here for the rest of the day. Thank you very much. Not only were the Round Corner team very accommodating, but they were also highly entertaining. I don't know whether the market town showmanship has rubbed off on them, but they seem to be attracting a lot of people to their bar. If their reputation precedes them, then on account of their beers, I could see why. I was poured a plantation rum oak barrel aged dark lager pretty much instantly upon being introduced to them by Darren. And I can tell you the sheer flavour of this thing. I wish I could describe it to you. It was, it was magnifique. Like deep, rummy, warming, and yet crisp, smooth and rich. The beers kept pouring and the pork pies kept coming. <laughs> Round Corner Brewing had made a friend for life. It's no wonder Darren was so desperate for me to visit them. As we parted ways, Cumbie invited us to visit the brewery, a trip me and Darren intended to take this spring until, lo and behold, we spent the warmest month of the year so far firmly not going anywhere. But I was still keen to get round corner on the podcast, albeit virtually. They'd struck a chord in me and I couldn't quite put my finger on why. Not until the days that followed the recent death of my father-in-law. On the evening he died, Cumbie and I were due to record the following podcast episode you're about to hear. However, with 25 minutes to spare and a phone call to inform us that unfortunately he had passed away, I had to postpone the recording last minute until after the funeral. Within a couple of days, the landlord of my former office called me to say a package had arrived from Round Corner Brewing. That's funny, I thought. I've not ordered anything from Round Corner Brewing and the episode beers that Cumbie had sent ahead of time for us to chat about had long been in my fridge tempting me every time I opened the door. After some wrangling with the courier to get this package redirected to my home address, my wife and I opened this curious box to discover the same plantation rum oak barrel aged dark lager in a 750ml wax top bottle accompanied by a note of condolence from the team suggesting we use the beer to raise a toast to my late father-in-law's life. Needless to say, it is being saved until the family can be safely reunited to crack it open and do so. We were both extraordinarily touched by this gesture of kindness and that's when it hit me beer really is by the by we, we drink it today and literally piss it away tomorrow likewise breweries and brands we adore today for the values they represent and hate them tomorrow when they disown us and sell up to global corporations but it's the people that make our industry the people are what makes events like brew london so special and yes, there are some dickheads out there, but for the most part, you don't come across the same sociable, creative, friendly, open and honest folk that you get in beer, in hospitality, in other industries. In retrospect, I think that's what made that particular beer festival so special for me. The opportunity to reconnect with old friends, to make new ones and get well acquainted with and introduce our listeners to people as warm-hearted, real and as dedicated as the team at Round Corner Brewing. After a stop off at Brick Lane's Kill the Cat and a few rounds of Old Chimney's Imperial Stout, <laughs> we floated back to the train station and parted ways. Darren to St Pancras and me to King's Cross. Only I wasn't at King's Cross when I came to board my train. 
In my pissed up little mind, I was in the right location. Only the fat controller wasn't convinced when he said, no, you want King's Cross. Needless to say, it was as if the guard at the ticket gate could see both the confusion and the fear in the eyes of someone who'd had an old chimney's imperial stout, a Glenafric whiskey barrel-aged scotched ale and a plantation rum oak barrel-aged dark lager on top of all the other beers I'd sampled and simply said nothing, looked the other way and opened the gate. The whistle sounded and I dived onto the train last minute picking a random carriage when nature called. Shit someone's in the loo and I need it. After what felt like an age to my weak, frustrated bladder, the door swung open and out popped Darren. I mean, talk about coincidence. And what's more, he'd left his phone in there. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> it was as if Ninsaki herself was watching over us, guiding us to the seats and table of two very poor, unsuspecting charity workers who had to endure these two little pissheads all the way home with their talk of craft beer. They loved it, really. Upon arriving in Sheffield, we parted ways and vowed to visit Round Corner Brewing. Until we do, which will make an interesting episode in and of itself, something you can hopefully look forward to hearing sometime in September, you'll have to satisfy yourself with this virtual discussion and beer tasting recorded a few weeks ago between me and Cumby talking all about how COVID-19 has impacted their business, how they've found reopening their tap rooms since social distancing measures have been relaxed, and taste some of their fantastic beers. So before we crack open today's episode, it's time for another This week I wanted to give a shout out to Huddersfield's Beer Inc. Beer Inc have had an unwavering passion for beer ever since they were old enough to see over the bar. It's easy to tell that Ryan and the team are excited by all things beer and since starting in 2015, they've strived to innovate and create beers that will continue to excite others. One of which is the highly sought after Star Beer, an imperial peanut caramel chocolate stout, a collaboration with Lost Industry and Steel City Brewing, which is just an absolutely divine chocolatey experience, take it from me. And I've had a sneak peek at their rebranding and range of beers, which look the absolute business. Their core range includes various pale ale stouts and their 5% IPA scrawler. IPAs really are a capricious chameleon of the beer world. One day they're bitter and pithy, the next they're fruity and juicy. And on this occasion, they're both packed with a plethora of early and mid edition nugget paired with an abundance of late edition Simcoe and Amarillo. Scrawler has flavors of bitter citric fruits, resinous piney qualities and an underlying tropical fruitness. And got any lager, mate? Gutenberg is their brand new 4.2% lager. With all the usual crisp dryness you'd expect from a lager with the added flavour of agave. Soft flavours of gooseberry are imparted by the Holotau Blanc hops, while the agave imparts an almost lemon and lime-like quality. So sit back, crack open their new cans and join Beer Inc. on the next leg of their journey into beer by using the code HOPFORWARD, that's in capitals HOPFORWARD, when their beer shop goes live at the start of August at beer-inc.co.uk. The discount is for a limited time only. It runs from the 1st of August when their shop goes live to the 1st of September, but you get to use it twice per customer and it can be used with any product in their basket. So don't miss out. The cans look great. Their beers are great. 
and I've just got a, a very warm place in my heart for Beer Inc as a brewery. So make sure you check them out, beer-inc.co.uk. And as ever, while you're checking out Beer Inc, make sure you follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Join our Facebook group by searching for Hot Forward in the groups. I'd love to connect with you further there. And visit hotforward.beer to discover how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding and design, digital marketing and business development. We'd love to help your brewery, bar, bottle shop or supplier business grow and sell more beer. Right, if you don't have a round corner brewing beer to taste along with us, then I suggest maybe you pause the podcast, go to roundcornerbrewing.com and pick some up because as you'll hear, they are extremely tasty and I'm sure you'll appreciate them a lot more when you hear Cumbie and I talk all about their brewery and the impacts that the recent events in our world have had on their business. Cheers. Today on the Hot Four Podcast, I'm joined by Cumby Cryan from Round Corner Brewing by the magic of the internet. Hello. Hi there, Nick. How are you? Um, all right. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. It's been raining for a couple of days, but uh, yeah, summertime is here, allegedly. Supposedly, yeah. yeah. Now, um, we've both got our merch on because you sent me a hat. And I, I do have to point out that um, my wife hates this hat. <laughs> she, 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 when I first put it on, she walked in the room. She, she her face dropped, and she was like, "What's that?" And I was like, oh, it's, "It's merch, isn't it?" She's like, "You're not wearing that." Yeah. I'm like, "Why?" She's like, "It looks stupid." I'm like, I don't look stupid. It's great. So whenever she's not around, the hat goes on. Hence <laughs> why so I'm wearing it now. <laughs> nice yeah yeah no it is well it's weird because we do those in all sorts of different colors and we we went with like a pink one at some stage and we thought this is just a bit silly and beyond the pay like who would you know even ironically buy a pink one and it sold out within uh, uh you know a couple of days so there's no accounting for the uh, uh specifics of individual taste so, <laughs> there you go so I, I first um, came across Round Corner Brewing through my good friend uh, Darren Fizzle from uh, the industry tap in Sheffield at Brew London, um, who insisted throughout the entire thing, I visit your stand and try your beers. And well, not just your beers, the Melton Mowbray pies, um, yes. which, which was po- possibly the best shout of that festival. Um, Ed, Ed, he, he seemed to be getting more progressively drunk every time I ran into him and he was like you've got to come you've got to go to the right corner so you know which is where I first met you but for some of our listeners that may not have come across round corner yet can you give us a bit of a lowdown on, on the brewery you know the size beers yeah. setup, and so on yeah so uh, we've been brewing since uh, December 2018 uh, here at the uh, livestock market at Melton Mowbray um, but Colin and I kind of, you can see I'm not the most youthful person. Colin and I have been around beer for a long time. Me just really as a as a drinker and punter for many years, but all around the world. But Colin is a, as a head brewer all around the world. So he, he graduated out of Harriet Watt a long, long time ago, brewed cast beer for a number of years. But uh, uh, really, when there was no craft beer scene, he went in search of that craft beer scene overseas and, and lived in uh, New Zealand and Australia and Asia for, well, the guts of 15, 20 years brewing and then um, uh, another friend and I bought this livestock market here and I don't use the word livestock market kind of in a in a liberal way it is a working livestock market so every Tuesday and Wednesday there's 
thousand cattle and six thousand sheep all around here and it's just a very vibrant rural economy but um, and it has a huge farmers market but what it didn't have is beer and kind of what we felt was a bit lacking uh, uh, in the region around us was a kind of a contemporary interpretation of you know our view of craft beer which being the pursuit of excellence and 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 you know a few other things i'm sure we'll go into uh, so i rang colin he was the director of operations at a big australian brewery and i managed to convince him to come back and so um we went through a number of friends raised a bunch of money uh, uh, built a brewery that is just there uh, uh, where you know we sort of uh, put our heart and soul into procuring the best brew house that we could do uh, and really then putting our heart and souls into as I say creating what is our view interpretation uh, a, a, of craft is the pursuit of excellence so we produce a range of of beers all the way from lagers to uh, uh, stouts, you know, via a- ales and uh, IPAs. Um, we do, majority of our beers would be into keg and draft, uh, uh, but also we had a very healthy cast business. That was until the 27th uh, of, uh, well, the 20th of March, at which stage we obviously pivoted uh, into producing beers, uh, you know, that go into a lot of cans. Uh, but you can even see these lovely growlers, which oh, nice. I'd love to talk about those at length because uh, I get very emotional when I see them because in, in our minds, they saved our brewery over the last few months. Um, uh, yeah, and, and as I said, like we've, been, we've received a number of awards for our beers, global awards. So our kind of gunmetal was voted the, uh, uh, the world's best draft lager at 4.5% and above at the International Brewing Awards, our uh, you know, West Coast IPA hopping spree, uh, won a goal in the European Beer Challenge. And so we we kind of, uh, uh, our, our goal, in addition to all of those things and kind of pursuing, you know, re- really strong, whatever you might want to call it, perfection in, in, the, uh, in the brewing of beers, is to brew very accessible beers. So most of our beer styles will have an ABV that's kind of in an accessible kind of, uh, mid fours bracket uh, and you know we, we view success as, as a beer that people want to drink again and again uh, uh, you know and, and that's what gets us excited uh, but yeah I'm sure we'll cover some of the specific styles as we go along amazing well uh, on that note I've got I've got my well, it's not one of your glasses I, I'm afraid to say but I've got uh, beers here so um, you're gonna have to guide me which what well, I, I was very tempted actually to to be like let's let's go just uh, go all in with the uh, <laughs> bar, barrel-aged Russian imperial stout but we'll, we'll save that one um, yeah. for a, a, a bit but we, we, which should I go for first Blazing Saddles which is the farmhouse ale yeah. or the hopping spree which you just mentioned yeah I, I mean I, I think uh, choose whichever one you prefer maybe oh. the Blazing Saddles it's yeah. kind of nice Rosé colour. It's it's summertime. Let's start there, and uh, we'll go from there. Happy days. So, yeah. I'm. Um, it's always awkward when you do a live tasting because it's like you you, you don't yeah, like. Oh, this yeah, this don't is spit a, it out on the screen. Yeah. Mmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, so good. Yeah. I've got mine here. You see, so pre- predicting that you might grab one of these. I grab one of our glasses there. It's got an ever so slightly slightly pink tinge yeah. to this what's what's how's how's what's that from oh, um, grapefruit is it so if, if you read and uh, no no it, i mean so i'll give you a bit of the background on the beer so it's a obviously a kind of a farmhouse saison beer uh you know so the the style can can sort of uh, uh gravitate across quite a high abv range this is 6.3 percent so quite strong for a farmhouse saison the obviously origins of this is 
uh, you know, yeast is the star, mm. uh, you know, so we would have procured a specific yeast for, for this. And uh, we call that color blush rosé. So, uh, you know, that's a, 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 it really pours that beautiful kind of rosé color. Um, you just try it. Very nice, sessionable. Very dry, uh, you know, and that's very deliberate. You know, we, we talk about a beer that's produced in winter. We kind of made it actually in the first quarter of the year, but, you know, designed to be really kind of thirst quenching during the summer. And we, we, we love that. We love that idea. So the dryness and you've got what Colin insisted and we had a big debate about a, a level of horse saddle funk in in the taste. Uh, I don't know if, if everyone would agree with that or even agree that that's a desirable uh, uh, thing. But actually, we've been really surprised by the reaction. It's been really well received. And kind of beers like this, you know, saisons, they're not they're not necessarily beers that everyone is drinking. And as a class example, we had this this beer kind of 2000 liters of it in, in our tanks when lockdown came. And uh, we thought, oh, my God, we're not going to be able to sell this nationally, as we probably you know, would imagine is the best way to sell a, a slightly more niche beer. Um, you know, and, and that we're going to, uh, you know, look to, to uh, uh, put this into our local market. And we kind of worried about whether they'd be ready for it. And it has gone down an absolute storm. So, you know, we're, we're really delighted. So uh, if there's some sort of uh, quiz or query about why the people of Melton Mowbray are somehow into farmhouse saisons in 20 years, <laughs> this might be the answer. It's a beautiful summer beer. So we were very delighted when the weather played ball during COVID. Um, but the dryness is a, just a really lovely characteristic during the, during the uh, summertime. And yet again, at 6.3, and you'll see this in, in maybe a lot of the reviews of our beers, we try and make beers that, you know, we don't disguise anything, but like, you know, that you, we, we don't want a beer to be like, oh, my God, I can taste every every level of ABV in this. You know, we want to make beers that, uh, yeah, they may be strong, but actually they, they, they wear that strength lightly. And we think this is one of those beers where you, you would find yourself drinking them and maybe having a couple more besides. I definitely will. Well, this is amazing. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's got, the, the smell's great. And then it's got just the right level of funk not too much yeah. it's not it's not like kind of like licking a barnyard goat yeah but it's kind of like you know thinking about licking a barnyard goat yeah um, yeah yeah wow that's that's a great beer yeah yeah i mean it, it's it's one as well we, we sent it out to a few people and it kind of um it confounds people a bit like they go what the, uh, the color is probably started it is quite an unusual blush color as we say mm. And then, yeah, the level of dryness, and then, yeah, it's 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 not got that out and out funkiness, or you know, uh, some of those other elements. It's 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 got a, a subtleness to it that's really nice. Yeah. We like. So, how's lockdown been then for yourself personally and for the brewery? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's it's. I wouldn't deny it's been tough, uh, and I think it's tough whether you're someone who uh, you know has been furloughed, and we have furloughed people. And I think that's probably one of the tougher positions to be in. Uh, but also, we kept on a good amount of staff, and then those staff had to work probably quite dynamically, much more dynamically than we had been used to. Uh, you know, in terms of finding outlets for our beer. So I'd say it's tough. I think we've probably done everything we can do on all fronts to kind of look after ourselves, our team and, and our customers. And uh, it's been a bit of a wild ride, if I'm honest. So I left here on the uh, 18th of March uh, and I split my time between London and here in Melton Mowbray in Leicestershire. Um, 
And I was pretty emotional. I, I think I cried a little bit because I just did, wondered whether we'd see the brewery again. You know, it, it felt quite uh, end of worldish. Mm. Um, but at the same time and in the same evening, we had determined that uh, we were going to use whatever assets we had to do whatever we could do. And, you know, that's where these things come in. Yeah. We just so happen, we, we get these in from Kansas and uh, we, we just so happen to have a lot of them around, probably around six, 700 of them uh, uh, in the back of the brewery because we just got a shipment. We've got a, a, a kind of a refills club, it's called, so people come in and get brewery fresh beer. But they always came in here and got their beer and then brought it home. So we said, well, you know, what, what, what assets do we have that we could bring to bear? And we had hundreds of these things and we had a couple of vans that now weren't going to be able to deliver beer to uh, uh, pubs uh, or restaurants. And um, uh, we delivered eight beers to a town called Stamford in Lincolnshire and eight beers here in Melton Mowbray on that Friday and Saturday. And it just snowballed from there where we ended up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, customers. And so we were delivering, you know, probably through the height of it, Three, three fifty, four hundred beers a, a week uh, out to people in those glass growlers, and oftentimes multiple uh, things. So we had this unusual tack where we didn't have a canning line, so we couldn't really can our beer, but we had lots of those growlers, and um, it, it did keep us afloat. And we probably have now, as a result, a much stronger home base than than, than we had beforehand. Uh, and yeah, and in the meantime, we've we've got our kind of can kind of inventory back up to where we want to go. So um, it's been tough, and even just in the last couple of weeks, obviously with the pubs coming online, and we've got a a, a large tap room that's disproportionately important to our business. Um, uh, it's tough. It swings and roundabouts. I mean, I, I think we find some weeks we're like full of the beans of life, and it's all good, and you know we've done amazing work. And then other weeks it's like oh my God, you know, times are tough and no week is the same and we got more issues, you know, of, of you know, of, of whatever nature. But we're still here and, you know, I think we will be here. So we used uh, the time to sell a lot of beer. So we didn't throw away uh, anything other than a couple of casks of beer, which was kind of shocking to us in a, in a very positive way. And we brewed throughout it. And, and I think if we look back, you know, as I was weeping up leaving here on the 18th, uh, you know, to where we are now. I think uh, we probably consider ourselves pretty proud of, of the impact we've had. You know, not just it's not just a business to us, uh, of we've had on the community. So, you know, we, we have Dan, who's our kind of deliveries guy, who uh, was the most famous man in Melton Mowbray for about three weeks that everyone wanted to know Dan. Everyone baked for Dan. Everyone <laughs> got Dan's stuff. Uh, so Dan was Mr. Melton Mowbray for a few weeks. And, and we probably quickly realized within that deliveries process that lockdown wasn't just about getting the essentials like bog roll and, you know, you name it. It was actually just the little things that would make people's days as they were stuck at home. And, and our beer was one of those things. And they told us that a lot. And so, you know, we're, we're pretty delighted that uh, we've come out of this with uh, a customer base that's probably very attached to us which is good and, yeah. and that was always part of our vision is to have a very strong local presence it's the reason we're located where we are we felt that this locality could do with that an iconic brewery in the making you know and, and we certainly can't claim to be that now but we're certainly going to work hard to be that in the future and, and uh, you know we hope that uh, we'll bring our, our community with us absolutely well it's good to hear that the people of stanford are getting your beers that's where my um, in-laws come from there you go. So, yeah, um, no, it's a, it's it's a, outside Melton, our second biggest market in, for the for the growlers. Ah, oh, happy days. Mm. Um, so I mean, 
just take take us back to when um, the government first made that announcement. Ev- everything's shooting down. Like, yeah. what went through your mind, and like, how, how did you deal with that? Uh, yeah, I mean, you're kind of processing it. I think we were obviously it wasn't for want of signals that we knew what was coming, and and I think we like a lot of probably particularly venue operators. Um, wanted some clarity from the government so rather than telling people not to come to us can you please be clear that you know we need to shut you know and 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 uh, i think eventually that decision was made um you know and, and so there was a certain level of okay that's the decision made but then you really don't know what lockdown means and so kind of it was just the uncertainty but uh, I, I think one of the things that we're probably proud of as i said is turning really rather than and the the uncertainty uh, you know and, and kind of focusing on that and living on watching the uh, you know the evening briefings obsessively for anything we just knew what direction it was heading in and, and said what can we control rather than what controls us and you know, we got to the conclusion that I described earlier about home deliveries of beers, trying to get canning runs scheduled. So, it, I, and it was certainly very emotional, but I, I think, you know, all of our intentions would be for nothing if it wasn't for very immediate feedback from, you know, the people who are drinking our beers that they would support it. So like, yeah, it's even emotional thinking about it. Like we had people who, you know, started direct debits that day and just said, I'll collect it when, when your tap room's open again. And so I, I'm sure that's not unique to our business is, is, is these businesses, breweries and, and you know, uh, uh, pubs that, that serve great beer and really care about their customers are probably have an importance in people's lives that are above and beyond, you know, the pure economics of coming in to have a few pints or spending money. It's, 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 it's a, a social meeting place. And, uh, you know, we felt the love uh, through that. And uh, it's, it's probably uh, sustained us that and, and buying the beer. So, yeah, it's, it's emotional and quite frankly remains so. You know, if, if, if not so much focusing on that time, but coming out on the other time last Friday was very... Uh, an apprehensive time you know we'd done all our homework so we opened our tap room uh, last saturday uh, and it was quite apprehensive like will people come you know will we do justice to them by doing all the right things you know you're interpreting this 47 odd page document um uh, and you just worry about almost everything and and you know kind of it turns out out of the fact we need no worry because that same approach you know that people brought to you know seeing us through that the start of this will be in our minds, the same approach that comes out that if you find people who support you and you do the right thing uh, by them, then, uh, you know, they, they, they will return that sentiment. So, uh, you know, I, I couldn't say that, you know, we're absolutely in love with the with the continued social distancing. Our brewery would have been a hell of a lot better off if this thing hadn't come, you know, and, and there's clearly the health issues. And I'm just really talking about the economic ones now. Um, uh, but you know it is what it is and and uh, i think social distancing is going to be here for a while longer uh the businesses of of pubs and tap rooms are going to be suppressed you know i'm not aware of anyone that's done better over the last weekend than they would have otherwise done if there wasn't social distancing um and uh yeah you just got to be patient and uh, as i said like we've tried to do the right thing by customers we tried to raise money and and, and successfully so that we'll be here for years to come. And so we've we've tried to do the right things that we control to make sure that, you know, we look after, uh, you know, everyone around us for, for uh, you know, the many years to come so that mm-hmm. we can hopefully one day be this iconic business. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds from everything you've said so far that you've managed to adapt yourselves um, quickly and accordingly. But w- which has been the hardest area of your business to adapt? Um. 
Yeah, I think it's the sheer change of variability from one month to the next. So if you look at the, the, the business that we would have had, it was 95% draft beer. Uh, and, you know, that, and within that, the tap room was hugely important to us. And then we had a good split between keg and cask. So the kind of decimation of the cast market is tough, you know, and, and uh, you know, as I said, we're probably slightly more keg forward, but we produce a lot of cask and we love the format. We don't particularly have a religion about one vessel or the other. And so to see a kind of a, a great market that is very much linked to pubs, uh, you know, really struggle and, and, and the economics of it work out. So, for instance, um, I think you, you've seen our kind of uh, our calendar, which we produce uh, uh, every year, mm. and it would have been stuffed full of cask beer as well as as keg beer. And we really can't do as much cask beer now because the you know the life of the product and uh, you know its its flexibility to be put into the various different formats isn't isn't as present. And so you know right now we're producing a, a range of keg beers, but just one cask beer, and we'll see how that sells, and then we'll go from there. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, some of the formats and, and stuff like that. And as I said, like kind of dealing with um, uh, your team is also really, really important. You have to be honest and fair, but like, you know, putting people on furlough isn't easy. But I would say is a hell of a lot easier than what faced us all, uh, you know, in the couple of weeks before that, where, you know, we would have been having talks that everyone would have been having about like, can we go part time? Can people take the holidays? Can we, you know, you know, how do we weather this storm? And so, um yeah, I think it's 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 the balance of all of those things, and and I think one of the things, uh, and Colin, who's the co-founder with me, and I were just talking about this today, is getting the balance right. Like there was times when when uh, you know, so I was down in London for most of it, so I was away from the brewery, but I was still working. 18 hours a day through the night, people were getting emails from me about like four o'clock in the morning because I was trying to run the, mm. the the delivery service, and there's a risk that in keeping going because you're doing a bit more work that you kind of end up being burnt out, you know, through the process. And then you emerge at the other side with no energy left to, to, you know, for the next iteration. And I think this one is going to play out over a long time. So preserving the energy is probably another one, but we figured that, you know, if we weren't here to survive, then there's no point preserving the energy. So we went for it. <laughs> it's interesting that because um, I, I found particularly as uh, homeschooling is dragging into its penultimate week, you know, just the, the grind of it, you know, I think at first, you know, it was a little bit when it went to lockdown and everything pretty much stops. It was a little bit like that period between Christmas and New Year where everyone's like, everyone's on holiday and it was really sunny as well. So everyone would be kind of like, it's two o'clock on a Tuesday. Let's have a beer, you know, and so on. Um, And then it it dawned on everyone that you can't just, you know, drink Imperial Stouts (laughs) at 4 p.m you know, yeah. on a weekday afternoon. Or leftover uh, casks of beer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, and then before you knew it, it's kind of like everything started kind of, the wheels got going again um, to the point now where things are starting to open, life's resuming in in some sense in the way it kind of was, but not at the same time. And yeah, you know, that, that kind of like that, it, it, it takes a toll on you after a bit, you know, it's just like, oh, really, you know, it, it's like being in limbo, isn't it? You're kind of like stuck somewhere between normality and abnormality. Yeah. Um, so I can totally get that, but having, having the energy for, for going forward, because I know, yeah. I know personally, that's something that I've struggled with 
um, yeah. over the last few weeks in particular. And and as you say, like the, the you know, I think so. I, I, I've got three kids of school going age, and and so I spent the morning homeschooling them very badly, by the way. But <laughs> I tried my best, uh, and uh, and my wife then did the afternoon, and and uh, and we kind of switched it across and uh you know i kind of i think it, it yeah it, it was quite a challenge for everyone to get you know what what they wanted from any given day but like i think we came out of it the other end and like probably if it teaches you one thing is that there's priorities above and beyond you know even a business that's a passion you know is 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 you know kind of to do the right thing by everyone in your life your family and your kids and and the people around you and and if we all take away a bit more of that from this that's you know, a silver lining on a on a very grey cloud. But getting very philosophical here. No, no, yeah, that's 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 kind of that's what my podcast is all about: beer and sort of philosophy. Um, yeah. Just just coming back to what you were saying about cask beer, I'd uh, be mm. interested to find out what what you think the future of cask beer is in light of all this. Yeah. Oh, listen. I probably say I don't know. I've been thinking about it now for two seconds. Uh, I mean, I think so long as there's good pubs they'll, they'll always be good cast beer we come from a cast beer region here probably disproportionately important i think it's also a beer that makes pubs more accessible to smaller brewers so certainly if, 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 rather than having a strong opinion that i'll dress up as fact i'd say that what i would like is is obviously for for that market to persevere through it for people to return to the pubs and to support great independent pubs and and uh, uh, you know the the great independent brewers that serve them because it's certainly you know, we find with with our cask beer, we produce, as I said, some you know really heavily award-winning lagers. But man, is it tough to sell a lager into a pub? You know, whereas you know most pubs will be able to take a, a you know a, a kind of a nine of of, of a cask beer very handily mm. and, and work their way through it. So it it has a real role in my mind, and and I, I suspect most breweries would agree, very emotional role in, in providing access to pubs that you don't get via maybe your other beers and and uh you know so we would certainly hope that it continues um uh, uh, to be a vibrant part of the market but it's it, it was tough i'd say you know for to have a beer like as an example of another beer that we produced that that would probably fall into the same category is we produced a a nitro keg stout uh, that we love and we produced it for paddy's day and of course Paddy's Day being the 17th of march perfect timing for lockdown and so <laughs> and that was the one beer because it you know, because it surges, uh, that you can't put in a growler or in something else. So uh, we had clients who were trying to buy kegs and, you know, you name it, of, of that. And we just decided that we'd wait to use that beer to celebrate coming out. So it was, you know, what sold in, in oodles, uh, you know, when um, we opened on Sunday, on, on Saturday, I should say. So, yeah, like I, we... Are back in the cask business now with Topside. Our kind of it's a 3.8 percent uh, English bitter, uh, and we will produce more. and And we like having fun with it. So you know, towards the tail end this year, we'd hope to do again, like we do an oyster stout, where we get oysters from the Colchester Oyster Farm, the oldest oyster farm in, in the UK. We do a kind of cacao nibbed one. So uh, and uh, we do a fresh green hopped one that you know isn't a million miles away. September when 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 hop harvest is and we really hope we can produce some beers that are very special for casks. So, yeah, we, uh, we really hope that uh, uh, the pubs return and, and that cask beer, uh, you know, retains a very strong place in the marketplace. Yeah, it's uh, oh, everything you're saying is making me very thirsty and <laughs> make, uh, making me want to go to your tap room. Cause I think me and Darren were going to come down, actually, 
um, you know, th- we were talking about it in um, on the way back from Brew London, saying, yeah. "Oh yeah, we'll, we'll have to go down." And it's uh, it didn't happen, but I, I saw him um, in in the flesh for the first time the other day. It was weird, you know, it's like kind of like when you you seen someone before all that and after yeah. you know and one of the first things we said was like oh we we need to make that journey mm-hmm. um so lovely to see you we'd, we'd love it so for, for breweries that have got like a tap room model like mm. um i mean do you think um customer confidence has been knocked and how has social distancing worked in a tap room like yours because you see all these headlines and i think personally a lot of it's scaremongering yeah. um you know where there was the one recently on on the Super Saturdays it was called, you know, uh, in Soho where it was just this Ram Street, you know, and you go on Twitter and it's like hashtag Second Wave, yeah, thanks yeah, everyone yeah. who's going to the pub, you know, <laughs> yeah. and all the people I knew that had been to the pub was like, yeah, it's pretty quiet and really nice, you know, yeah. um, like, do you, do you, how has social distancing worked in your tap room and and how do you envision it kind of going forward? Yeah, I mean, I'd even draw back to earlier than the fourth is, you know, when we started our deliveries, um, we, you know, there was a stage where people would look at the van going out and say no one should be out. And uh, like, I think there was a kind of sense of, you know, that uh, and beer was very definitely deemed by the government to be an essential service, you know, in the food and drink sector. And as a result, you know, we, we were perfectly legally tight to be out there. But it's crazy that that was even the level that we had to think about if we had an answer for that. As people, why the hell are you out delivering beer? That's not essential. Mm. And so, you know, there's been levels of kind of, uh, I don't know, justified concern about, you know, what was and wasn't happening. But we knew that we were doing absolutely the right thing. And, you know, our clients would say that. And so, you know, we kept going with it. And then when we opened up for our our, uh, our site for collections, which only we only did in kind of mid-April, so a month after lockdown, you know, we, we had a full assessment safety. And yet again, we had people saying it's not essential, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, people shouldn't be walking down the brewery. And, um, you know, uh, uh, we don't absolutely disagree with anything, you know, but in our sense is, you know, we would obviously indicate to people you have to be, you know, fit and healthy, look after yourself. You've got your own conditions to work out. But like, and we had, you know, great social distancing arrangements in place and it worked really well. And so all the way along, we have one eye on on safety and i think breweries in particular are good places to start with because you know we're manufacturing facilities we've got strong sense of quality assurance and cleanliness and all yeah. of those types of things and so uh, you know if, if brewers are going to get that wrong everyone's going to get it wrong and, I, and so i think we always felt a sense of comfort that you know we'll be thinking about more angles than you know 99% of the population anyway in terms of risks and issues um, and so all the way along and then when we come to the fourth is yeah we're justifiably really concerned because it's a, it's another level of of you know because then you get into like weird stuff I, you know part of I would welcome everyone on site I'd give them a briefing um, uh, uh, but you never thought you'd have to do two things you know one is spend 30 seconds telling people how to go to the toilet or to attend the toilet block rather than anything else. And so, you know, but that's the level of briefing because they are hotspots, you know, in terms of uh, people being close to each other and, you know, how the kind of uh, queuing system works. And, you know, people understood it and got it really quickly. And so, you know, um, and that really begets the second point is that 
in all of these things that the venues certainly have an obligation to provide a safe environment and a pleasant environment um, and uh, but the a clientele also have an obligation to kind of listen to instructions but also kind of uh, acknowledge their own role in terms of uh, you know groups and and uh, uh, sizes and interaction and stuff like that and um you know I, I certainly i wasn't surprised that uh, uh you know here at our venue because we know our customers it was super well received people were super respectful i didn't see any you know risky activity uh and and i think that was broadly reflected across the country so i think yeah i, I would certainly be in the camp that said if if people are pointing out pictures from soho or that three pubs have been you know, closed down because uh, there was links to confirmed cases of COVID. Um, I would say in 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 a country with the vast number of pubs that we have, I don't see that as being massively statistically significant of unsafe practices or anything like that. It's the country has to be unlocked at a certain stage. And I think uh, uh, pretty clearly people should assess their own appetite for risk. And I think a lot of people are. We had a lot of people who said, I'm not coming right now. I might come in a few weeks. And that's absolutely fine. And we would understand that and encourage it. Uh, we want people to feel safe. And so, um, uh, yeah, you, 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 uh, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you do worry despite all the things, but we had a fabulous time and it was very emotional for a lot of people coming back here. And so if that's the type of reaction we get, we think we're doing something right. Uh, we did have, actually, just as an aside, when we were setting up, uh, uh, one lady who came along and said, um, uh, uh, I'm a British woman, I'm just here for a, a free British pint, so tell me what you can do for me. And I, I was going, oh, I'm not so sure what you mean. So, will you be requiring my name and number? And I said, um, yeah. And so she gave me some a very long explanation about why this was a sort of intrusion over privacy and there was some sort of great big uh, uh, conspiracy to gather the uh, personal details of everyone in the country and said, well, maybe you might find somewhere else. So it was, uh, yeah, there's certainly some unusual reactions out there to uh, uh, very understandable uh, uh, safety measures. Yeah. I think there's a lot of fear, you know, yeah. and emotion going around. Um, yeah. I, and it's, it's funny how you're using the word emotional uh, a, a bit because um, I know I, I've i been really fortunate in that throughout the lockdown, particularly with having Hot Fall as a podcast. I've had so much beer sent to me. It's been it's been great, although it starts to dry up. So if, if there are any listeners out there who feel compelled to send me a beer, <laughs> then uh, it's, you know, my, my stash is running a bit low. But um, one of the, the first beers I... I you know, bought which seemed like a real novelty after a few months. I've not bought beer for months. Was a brewery St Miles of the Desert, and mm. I went to collect it from their tap room, um, which obviously isn't open at the moment. Uh, the base in Sheffield, but it's they're one of my favourite breweries, and I I could have cried. You know, it was weird. Mm. I, I I I welled up, and I felt so happy to be in this little space that I I like so much. You know, with um, Dan and Martha, who are great people, and their beers are magnificent um yeah and it just yeah it's it's funny isn't it how how people are reacting at the moment mm, yeah so look I, and I, I think we just get good feedback so like i think in my mind there's you know unless there is a, a spike in a week's time or two weeks time you know this is just going to get progressive and i think we'll all customers and venues will will find the right balance you know i think probably did i, I actually went to a few pubs today just to speak to people and, and you see the variety of like apps and, you know, kind of sign in procedures and stuff like that. And I think over time, 
probably things will coalesce around the tracking seems to me a no-brainer and that's going to happen one way or the other so you know you're going you're going to have to provide your details for tracking but you know the necessity to pre-book or not you know i think people will find the right balance and will kind of coalesce around in essence beer in in our minds anyway and we certainly don't shy away it's a social lubricant and yeah. so kind of social distancing and and uh, uh, social lubricants aren't necessary you know that's one thing where i think the fear is 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 some you know i can see where it goes which is you know if people drink too much you know are they able to maintain social distancing our experience you know on on saturday um is that people didn't drink too much probably one thing and 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 you know kind of the tantamount with that is i think the last few months have not been lost on people and you know they 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 know how to social distance you know by and large i would say certainly our customers i can't talk for for everyone but um yeah and and, and you know even the the term i don't know if i could have picked up right but like i certainly have tried to teach myself that we're not going to return to anything where where we're going is somewhere different yeah. you know both from a beer industry perspective but also from a kind of society perspective and so um you know there's no point in talking about what has gone and a returning to that is where we're going is somewhere different and you know reconcile ourselves with that knowing with the best analysis we can do what it is and how we prepare for that is is the best favor we can do for ourselves and for our customers yeah, that's interesting because I mean, me and my wife, uh, when we have conversations about it, you know, it's the, that's what we say. It's like we, you know, because you hear this phrase like, oh, you know, when things go back to normal, you know, mm. and it's just like you just, I just think things aren't going back to normal. You, you don't go back to normal after something like this. You don't yeah. have to a trauma like this. You know, you you go on, yeah. um, and yeah, it's different. It looks different, and things work differently, and there'll be good things that'll come out of it and not so good things, which, which will lead me on to my next question. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's definitely beer o'clock again. So yep. uh, I'm going to be hopping spree. So yeah. while, while I crack this open, um, yeah. s- some good hops in this man. Yeah. Centennial, Cascade, Amarillo, Simcoe, yeah. Mosaic, Citro, all, all the big hitters. Why, why don't you yeah. tell me a bit about this beer while I uh, crack yeah. it open? So, um, it was one of the first beers we produced. Uh, it's a West Coast IPA and a very true West Coast IPA. So you'll notice, yes, a lot of hops, but also, uh, surprise, surprise, bitterness. Um, it obviously strikes some people as unusual in the, in, in, in the current market, but it's superbly popular. People drink a lot of it, uh, 6.6. Um, uh, pours a nice colour. People talk about a quite malty level to it, uh, you know, and, and, and each their own. As I said, it won the gold at the European Beer Challenge, you know, which for us was a, it was a great endorsement. Um, it's a beer, and one of the things that we do is, is um, uh, we very much look at styles of beer and then look to produce, uh, you know, really quality representations of that style. And we looked at, say, West Coast IPA, and uh, we do something which is probably a dirty word to, to, to uh, a lot of craft breweries out there. Is we we occasionally filter beers. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, right, that's it. I'm, I'm, get up, get off my podcast. <laughs> uh, and uh, and we don't. We, we neither filter all beers or some beers. Is we'll look at the style and we'll say, you know what? So producing a lot of lagers, we'll look at a lager style in particular. And this is a beer that we started filtering, you know, probably for the first few runs, and then uh, we don't filter anymore. And, and uh, you know, I think the style is, is, is still just very drinkable, uh, very easy. It's the first beer we ever put in can. Um, 
uh, and it, it's a beer that sells a lot through, uh, you know, and, and, and a shameless plug, but like uh, Honest Brew, who, who have been very supportive of, of us as a brewery, uh, commissioned this. And the re- that's the reason it was first in the can is that they've done. So they, uh, uh, through the customer base, sell a lot of this. Um, and it's just a lovely beer. We drink it a lot. <laughs> I was, uh, but I, what, what do you think of it? I was going to say, um, there's something wrong though. This you, you, you can see through it. Yeah, <laughs> it's lovely. And, and this isn't filtered. This version, so it, uh, yeah, the, the, this is unfiltered. But yeah, we we still brew it. Uh, it's um, lo- it's lovely. Yeah. I, I love West Coast IPAs. Like I, yeah. I don't get me wrong. I, I do like New England IPAs. Yeah, but I and this is a controversial statement. I might lose a million podcast listeners. I wish I had a million podcast listeners. I might, do, I, I, might, I might lose all my subscribers saying this, but I think a lot of them taste the same. It's like it's like there's the same hop variety, you know, and um, whereas I think with a West Coast IPA, you tend to get a lot more variation. I, yeah. I just, I, for, for me, this, and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you now and you're on my podcast and stuff, but yeah. for, for, for me, th- this is the kind of IPA I like. It's got that malty su- sweetness to it, but it's backed up with plenty of bitterness and hop aroma yeah. and flavour. Yeah. And, you know, it... I just like a good West Coast IPA, and it it, it ticks all the boxes. Really. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And, and yeah, and like as, as a, you know, we kind of um, we would have probably over time put a few more cryo hops in there, etc., and worked on the aroma. We think it's it's just for the last few batches, like just really singing. You know, it, it, it's it's a nice beer, but we're biased, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can't that. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's a lovely beer, yeah. and. Uh, I said like six point six. It just drinks very easily for 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 a beer that's of that, of that ABV level. Mm. So and, and all of our beers, just while it's is uh, so it's called uh, if I put it here, hopping spree. Um, a lot of our beers have are named after um, just events and stuff like that from around our region. So we're very proud of our region. I'm not from here. You might have noticed from my accent. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of when we alighted here, we really wanted to be part. We didn't necessarily need to call ourselves a geographical name because that's quite limiting. But yep. we wanted people to know about the history of, of our 1,000-year-old mark and other things. So Hopping Spree refers to the Melton uh, Spree where the Marcus of Waterford and a couple of his is uh, toity chums uh, painted the town red, which is where the expression comes from. Painted uh. the town red from Melton Mowbray, uh, so they went, uh, uh, you know, on the lash, so to speak, and painted the town red. Happy days. Oh, Happy I, spree. I, I like a little, little story like that. <laughs> um, so just coming back to the question I was going to ask, then, like, how how do you think all of this, i.e., coronavirus and the pandemic and lockdown and everything, how do you think it's going to change breweries in the hospitality industry, but both for better and for worse? Yeah, it, uh, do you know what? It, it, it's interesting. I think, um, you know, one of the things I think about is, is, uh, and so my background is 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 business and finance. Mm. Uh, yet again, probably sometimes dirty words in this industry, but like I think it helps if you're running a business to have a business person there. And 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 so, in addition to my own brewery, I'm a kind of small shareholder in about forty breweries. All around the country, so kind of I I kind of watch what other people do, and uh, you know because I just find it interesting, and and you know hopefully learn a few things, and and if you look at kind of how people have fared through this, it's quite interesting that I don't think people would have necessarily set out to say create a brewery that was venue driven, you know their own venues or other people's venues or uh, breweries that were small pack driven and. Uh, focused on um, you know putting stuff into you know bottle shops or supermarkets or whatever 
But I suspect some of the winners and losers have been defined by that very choice that no one really consciously made or understood. Like, I'm sure you couldn't have a list of 20 breweries and say who was in what camp. Mm. Um, you know, and so, and, you know, personally, I, you know, because we did it here, we built a, a, a good big tap room and the, the, the established consensus was clearly you wanted your own tap room because it was a good way to get the full margin and, and you know, represent your beers and your brand in a very direct way. But I think if you obviously went, you know, you know, that levels above, 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 uh, you know, to have multiple venues and stuff like that, it's probably been a bit tougher, notwithstanding some of the grants and stuff like that. Whereas if you stuck that same amount of money in a canning line and you were ready and, you know, you sold all the cans that you could produce in, in, in March and April, it might feel a bit better now. Now, where it goes in the long term is a different matter because clearly, I, you know, the supermarkets aren't going to kind of sit there and, uh, you know, figure out how to be nice to brewers necessarily. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, and uh, hopefully venues will come back. Uh, but you know, if you ask me for kind of my prediction based on you know what I see of the of the, the breweries where I'm a shareholder, my hopes for ourselves is that uh, it's certainly not a hope, but there'll probably be less breweries. Um, and I think it's probably tempting or easy to say there's certain breweries, maybe some smaller ones or whatever, that were marginal to begin with and just have become you know, less than margin on this. But actually, I think a lot of breweries that maybe won't make it will surprise people about how big they are and how apparently successful they are. And that will be tough and a shame. You know, I think likewise with pub groups is you can't, you can't kind of look at the decimation in the high street and the job losses announced at like very viable businesses like John Lewis and Boots today and, and not think, well, some some of this is going to apply at some stage to uh, you know the pub sector as much as it has done in in some of the uh, restaurant sector and retail sector and so uh, you know the, the 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 pub market will change and I suspect if you ask me what might define the difference between those people that do okay within this and this is personal view we're not saying that we, we can achieve it necessarily is you got to have that mix of very diehard supporters that will stick with you that will come out um you know so a very big local presence in my mind should be a no-brainer for any brewery if you're not tight with your locals in your community um you know and that they have your back uh, uh you know and, 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 and in, in my mind i'm talking about geographic community but yeah. it might be just a collection of people who of like-minded people um you know that, that they will stick with you, uh, you know, through through the ups and downs, and I think that's probably coming to stark contrast for a lot of people that how how important that is, and then probably doing right and looking after your customers and your people will probably mean that um, you know, you, you you've got sustainable support and practices going forward. So, um, you know, for us, probably what it means is never losing sight of you know our our, our kind of you know draft customers and pubs. But inevitably, you know, we we look at small pack and products like that, and and the reality that um, before I even produced a brewery, I, I wrote this uh, uh, forty page analysis of the the UK kind of beer market and where things go and blah 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 because that was my background as an analyst and and. Uh, uh, you know, it's pretty clear. You look at the trends over 40 years towards, uh, uh, you know, off sales, etc. And probably only about four years ago did, did they cross where off sales, you know, uh, um, by volume sold more than on trade. And you know, sort of uh, that was probably up to maybe 54% of volume was off trade. You know, at the point where the crisis starts, it obviously went to 100%. Um, 
probably my sense is it isn't going back to 54, 55%. It's going to go back to 70 or 75%. So kind of, um, you know, of a smaller market, how are people going to do that? And I think if, if you previously relied on a good location, uh, you know, as an example, being the city of London or something like that, that's probably not going to be enough in the future, you know, because people aren't going to necessarily be walking by your place in droves. Uh, they're not necessarily going to be in offices anymore because they're going to be working from home. Uh, and you're going to have to attract people out who for a long period of time, four months now and counting, have gotten very used to um, getting stuff delivered to them. And, and quite frankly, a lot of the time enjoying themselves, uh, you know, in their own home environment. And so, the default isn't always going to be to go out. It's going to have to be a situation that venues think very carefully about how they attract people out and into their venues. And so uh, these are all new challenges. Uh, there, there are more questions than answers, I, I acknowledge. But, um, you know, that's that's how we're thinking about things is, um, you know, how, how, do we, how will this small pack world develop? How will we attract people out? How will our pubs do that? Who needs support? And... Going back to that thing that I talked about at the start of the pandemic, what do we control and not control? Because if mm. we're worried about stuff that we don't control, then, um, uh, uh, you know, as an example, I think the economic depression that uh, 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 will inevitably follow the uh, uh, the sort of health crisis hasn't even started. So, uh, you know, I, I think if you were kind of, you know, optimism blind optimism would be misplaced right now i think be optimistic you know be positive uh but you know base base decisions on fact is probably where we're at and trying to kind of uh, uh, live our lives by yeah well, it's a little bit like a saying isn't it plan plan for the worst but expect the best yeah um it's interesting you should say all that because i just before uh Ciba beer x i spent a lot of time getting my marketing right for hot forward as, as a business um and i came up with this sort of campaign which um came together in a, a, a brochure basically a bit like a portfolio thing um with with a, a, a can on the front a mock-up of a can saying um why brewing good beer won't cut it anymore mm. and the, the the argument was that um it's, you know it's and and still is and in some ways, I, I think it was a little bit prophetic even in that um, it's not enough just to brew good beer and be like, oh, we make really good beers because they'll just sell. Or like you say, be in a really great location because people will come. Um, because at the time it was like, there are loads of great beers out there. There are loads of great locations. You know, what what, what you need is to have, uh, along with having a really good product or service, is to have your branding and your your values and your vision really nailed down, mm -hmm. um, really good business practices in place, and to implement all that and communicate all that through really good marketing. And what, what you've just said essentially is that, and what's happened through COVID-19 is that um, breweries need, need to have those elements in place because we there are these challenges, you know, moving into small pack, everyone is now in small pack, um, on, and how you stand out from the crowd you know you, even i've noticed as somebody that does a lot of graphic design how my instagram feed has changed a lot over the last few months from you know like the 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 tulip beer glass like this you know yeah. in, in the sun with somebody looking like they're drinking to the yeah. to the mock-up of a can yeah that's you know <laughs> or that's a video that's moving 
yeah. to entice you. And it's 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 so interesting how it's how it's changed and how the ones that are getting ahead are the ones that are doing good marketing. Um mm. and and you know, versus the ones who are still kind of gonna be stuck in the kind of well, people go to the pub, let's hope the pubs reopen. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 look I think I think some of the things that um probably the beer industry, but craft beer industry as well needs to get over is is like competing for the same small market share is is not going to cut it you know anymore you know um you know so uh, well it may cut it for certain people but it won't feed everyone right yeah. and so uh you know if i look at kind of um yet again the reason for our ethos around accessible beer is that we can't afford to be uh, dictatorial or you know say well we brew this and if you don't like it you know sling your hook or whatever is um you know we 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 deliberately try and be, brew beers that are accessible for people. And we're delighted if we find someone who comes in here and says, I drink a mass-produced blah, 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 lager, and we get to not sneer at them, but to say, listen, have we got something to try for you? We've got a beautiful crisp lager. If you like it, you can even move on to our, our black lager, which blows people's minds, you know, a black lager. And um, it's just... Amazing, and, and uh, you know, to, to take people on a journey, and I think we have to do it because the craft beer industry collectively still represents such a small portion of the market. And if you look at some of the challenges that we are all going to face right now, and we are facing, is the ability of bigger brewers to kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of economically and otherwise, you know, get their product out a lot. And so, if we all end up, you know, chopping each other's heads off to get volume, you know, selling double IPAs against each other or whatever rather than collectively trying to grow the consumer's appreciation of beer, you know, and, and uh, uh, that, that, that's something that has to stay in us in the long, because I think we're very fortunate to be in a subsector of beer that's fast growing, but we shouldn't take that for granted that we have to keep on growing uh, that, that the share of, the, of this marketplace. And to do that, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, I, I sometimes find it curious the level of, uh, you know, being from Ireland and from near the north and Collins from Belfast, we use this word kind of religion that people have about certain aspects, whether it be about cask beer or about juicy IPAs or whatever. And people that might either loathe or look down at each other for their views on beers are very oftentimes very similar people, you know, in terms of their outlook and, and their anorakness about beer, which I think is very laudable and a good thing. And it's lovely to have those people and they're passionate about beer. But it doesn't necessarily make for accessibility for people looking on the outside, you know, if they feel they're going to be sneered at for saying the wrong thing or liking the wrong thing. And so, you know, we very definitely uh, uh, live very hard and correct ourselves if we ever do it, like to be positive about beer. Because I think that's what we have to be as an industry, not negative about certain aspects of it or otherwise. And so... We try and not get involved in, you know, dispense conversations or conversations about, you know, lagers or, you know, crap or, you know, that, uh, you know, any of these things. We love all styles and, and you know, I, I, and we'll have a go at making them. So there's no kind of sacred areas for us. Um, you know, we're a business and we're trying to make, we call it uncommonly good beer, but the, the test for us isn't making that beer, it's having as many people as we can do drink that beer is, is what gives us great satisfaction. And I think we as an industry really need to think about that hard because the marketplace is going to change. And, you know, if, if, if it is the case that supermarkets consume a lot of that uh, uh, volume, um, then, you know, we're, we're going to have to 
try and figure out a way to kind of either work with them or provide a, an alternative package that's better. But like just saying, you know, staring at it isn't isn't going to isn't going to cut it. Would you know? Uh, uh, would be my view. And so kind of, yeah, there's there's some realities coming collectively our way as an industry and how we deal with them will define us. Mm. So la- last question then. If you could go back in time to the Crumbie crying of 2019 and give yourself some advice knowing what you know now, what would it be? And if you got a visit from the ghost of Christmas yet to come, so to speak, um, like this evening, yeah. what, what would you like them to tell you? Yeah, uh, well, uh, 2019, I'd say uh, uh, buy a canning line is <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely uh, uh, the number one. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, we would have loved to have a canning line and, and have been able to react quicker, but, you know, kind of better late than never and all of those things. And so we'll get there. Um, you know, just having flexibility is probably the canning line is just a, a, an example, but having flexibility in a business is is really really important because everything changed and will continue to change and so yeah i I think that's that's a really watchword and i think it's really tough i think you know i talked a lot about what we did and i'm very proud of what we did some and some of it was what clients did for us but the other ones were small so we could pivot but if we had 40 employees and you know they had defined responsibilities and you know you, you had to think you know really hard about those you know aspects they're bigger oil tankers to turn around than a small mm. business and so you know we we're very fortunate to have that but yeah definitely the uh the the canning line and small pack you know that 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 dynamic isn't going away really what we've seen is uh there's no new trends in this in this in this marketplace there's just accelerated trends that have been there for a long time you know uh, you know so that 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 you know there wasn't going to be any more beer sold in pubs you know, regardless of this or that, by market share, I mean, um, uh, and uh, you know, so that that's that's moved in that direction, you know, and, and it's just accelerated by a large number of years, and um, you know, so it's 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 kind of proved a challenge. And then, if we to your second point around the kind of uh, Christmas future, I think uh, uh, in my mind it's quite simple: is uh, uh, a vaccine has been discovered. It was discovered on the. Uh, what are we now? The 11th of July, and the whole population was immunised, and uh, uh, you know it, it, we're all healthy and then free to make choices. But uh, I suspect that ghost is not going to tell us that, and we all have to be patient to find an end solution to to, to a bigger issue. You know, so we talk about beer, and we we do try and frame beer as a social lubricant, not to get too haughty about it. We love the flavours, we talk about them endlessly, but. In the end, it's 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 there to oftentimes you know fuel great conversation. If some of that conversation is about beer, great. But if it's not, that's fine. And so, um, you know, we we really need social interaction to return in order to have a vibrant beer industry because that, in our minds, is the is the bedrock on which beer is built. Yeah. In our minds, good beer and good beer businesses. And so, yeah, I I, I, I desperately and truly hope for that. But uh, I think it's a forlorn hope. And so while that's not happening, you know, keeping our our team close, our customers close, speaking to whoever we can do, as honestly as we can do about, you know, what we would like to do for people and and hopefully uh, uh, get some beers in their hands is, is as good as we can hope for for now. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the show. And I can say on behalf of myself and Darren, who I'm sure is listening, um, as, as as soon as uh, we're able, we'll, we'll make the, the trip down there. Great. Uh, s- sample the pork pies and 
come, come to yeah. the brewery. Um, Stilton cheese, the other one from here. Oh, look at that! Cheese. It's got it's got everything. The only town. Look, I'm wagging my finger. This is uh, <laughs> is um, the only town in the UK that has two origin products: pork pies, Stilton cheese. Amazing. Brilliant. So, um, how, how can people get your beers? They're, they're absolutely fantastic. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that, they are really, really good. So, how, how yeah. can people get hold of them? So, if you're kind of in and around Melton Mowbray, obviously come and see us at the tap room or, or, or send us an email. Uh, we've got a web shop, roundcornerbrewing.com forward slash shop or our shop, something like that, but roundcornerbrewing.com, and you'll find it from there. Uh, we're stocked in a large number of pubs around the country, so we deliver to 15 pubs today. So, uh, uh, um, you know, if you're in Nottingham, uh, Link, South Lincolnshire and, and uh, uh, Leicestershire, you'll find our pubs, uh, our beer and lots of pubs. If you don't, tell them to look out for us. Uh, and then in terms of our cans, um, we're in lots of great independent bottle stores, yet again around the same region, Leicester, because they can do it now, as well as as, as in Nottingham and, and, and South Lincolnshire. And then uh, nationally, you can get our beers via Honest Brew and Beerhawk. Amazing, brilliant. Well, thank you for being on the show. Great. Thanks, mate. Look after yourself. See you all. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hi,